a delve into the thoughts of a great leader, inspiring visionary, a venerable soul, but ultimately just a man. Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Karen, and I do these book reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality to get something interesting from the books they're reading. And today, we do have an interesting book. It's an unusual one for this channel, as I don't really read autobiographies that much. But yes, indeed, I have an autobiography by M.K. Gandhi, also known as My Experiments with Truth or The Story of My Experiments with Truth. This book was published in 1929, and it's about 450 pages in length, although there is a bit more to the history of its publication, which I'll get onto in a second. Now, for those who don't know, M.K. Gandhi, also known as Mahatma Gandhi, affectionately, was an Indian civil rights leader, a visionary who really helped create the independence from India from the British rule. And this is an overview of his life from his birth in 1869 to 1921. So this was when he was of 52 years old. It's split into five parts and these roughly correspond to locations in his life, although it does still follow the chronological sequencing. The first part is of his birth in India and his childhood, which goes over pretty quickly before his moving to England to study as a lawyer and his experiences there. His parts two through four are of his time in South Africa. So this was when once again, working as a lawyer there, but also his starting to become a advocate for the public good, I guess. And so you see his decisions there, how he fomented, I guess, some civil unrest there and tried to improve the lot of Indians there. And then part five is when he returns to India. He's already relatively well known as a, an advocate for Indian rights and is then pursuing this to an even greater degree to get that independence from Britain. Its style is intriguing and it reflects its publication history. So it was originally written in Gujarati, which I know I'm pronouncing wrong, but is an Indian language. And it was serialized in newspapers. So it was actually published in very small formats that were pushed out over the period of 1925 to 1929 before it was finally published as a whole thing. So you'll have many, many chapters. If you look at the contents page, it is just full and full of all these little chapters such as Training of the Spirit, Homeward, Passion for Unity, and its rising tide at Nagpur, all these sorts of different little things. And each of these contains a little snippet of his life or a thought or a digression, some history. So he goes over things such as his experiments with dietics, uh, dietetics, I should say. It goes over things such as particular decisions he made, why he has these sorts of ethics, Weaving, for example, he goes into why he wanted to make his own homegrown Indian cloth, which was made particularly from everything Indian, things like this. So the book goes over so many different aspects and it's not just of his life. It's also of what he was doing, other people who were involved with him. So it's not a me, me, me sort of focused book. It's obviously of him and what he was doing, but also includes cultural trends and history and things like that. Onto the author Gandhi and why he chose to write this book, he states in the preface, the introduction to the autobiography that he didn't particularly want to, but he got so many people asking him about particular stories that he did. Why did you do this? Tell us more about yourself. And so he felt he needed to do this. And it took a weird form because even though it was published in 1925 to 1929, it stops at 1921, his actual recollections. And he states this because essentially from that point onwards, 
everything about of what he was doing was being written in the newspapers and things like that. So there was sort of no need to explore more deeper into that section of his life, even though he'd already lived it because it was so well known and so many of activities were well known as well. On to the main themes of the book. And the first is Satya, truth and God. Now, Satya is a Sanskrit word, which does mean truth or essence. And it's interesting to find out, you know, what was Gandhi's definition of Satya? Why did he follow this so particularly? And there's no simplistic definition, hence his experiments with truth. It was a continual process. So he talked about it a lot, but so much of it was in his actions. So what are some examples? of Gandhi displaying this truth, his actions, his experiments. How does he show this? He gives many. One was when he was a small child and he had the opportunity to copy from a classmate's slate and get the correct words, the answers for this test he was doing. His teacher was actually encouraging this to get better scores for his students in his class, but it crossed a moral boundary. He could not do it even at that young, early age. He had a client when he was a lawyer and he spotted an error in one of the reports that was actually beneficial to his client to ignore this. But he said, no, I can't proceed with the case unless we bring this up in the court because it would be too deceitful. I can't do this. Another, even though he venerated many leaders and found them wise and respectful and all of these good things, if he felt that they were pursuing a wrong path or if he had conflicts of interest with them, something that he felt was the real inner truth, he could not put this down. He had to voice his opinion and even go against people who he loved dearly. And finally, you look at the many vows he took of not eating, of having a particular diet and being very strict with himself, with celibacy, all these things. And all of this was in the direction of truth, of trying to find out what is real and I, th- I think adhering to an inner moral code. And this is where I guess you could say the God is his inner vi- voice because many a time he listens to his conscience and he doesn't seem to have two inner voices battling or if he does, he's really able to say, hmm, no, this is the part of me that I don't enjoy. This is the lustful part. This is the part that wants experiences. This is the part, the the beastly side of me, whereas I really need to follow this one. And so he doesn't seem to have too many choices where he's wavering on what decision he should take. He, he always seems to say, no, there was a, a clear winner in that I should do this and I just have to fight against the worser part of me to achieve this. The second theme is ahisma, nonviolence. Once again, I'm totally mispronouncing this Sanskrit word. And this was derived from his religious studies. So he was very, very intrigued by religions and what he could gain from them. And he would study all of them pretty much, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, all of these different studies. And I think this is where he got his morals from because you don't really see him talking about science and ethics in the book in this sort of sense. It's all pretty much derived from from his religious uh, experiments, I guess. Once again, I would say this is a lived definition. So his nonviolence principles, he would apply to the clothing that he was wearing, how this was gotten and how this was acquired. He put it in terms of the nation state. So could he be in line with the British rule? Were the British people on the whole nonviolent? And would he accede to some of their demands when they needed it in the times of war, for example. Obviously, he put this with regards to his dietics or dietetics, and this was where he would not eat meat, and then he cut out milk, and then he cut out, you know, all of these sorts of things. He was continually taking vows of nonviolence, and once again, with his actions with direct people, hey, I'm never going to hit someone, for example. 
He would also apply this to large groups of people, and this is where he came up with the concept of satyagraha. I think that's how you say it, which is the combination of two words in Hinduism, I believe. We've already talked about satya, which was truth, and the other, which was agraha, which is sort of firmness. And this was because they were looking for another word for passive resistance, which was how they were describing their methods of non-cooperation in many ways. So this was when there would be uh, attacks on Indian people quite unfairly in South Africa, and they would fight against this, but obviously you can only do it in so many different ways. And he was very strict with the nonviolence rule. You're not allowed to um, bring up violence against the state, against enemies, against people, because this just crossed a moral boundary that he would not allow. So he came up with this satyagraha, which is essentially nonviolence and non-cooperation. How would he show this non-cooperation? Well, he would willingly let himself be taken to jail for disobeying orders. He would fast when people were not coming together to create a consensus or to debate something. He would try and highlight certain issues, but not do it in an aggressive manner, but through marketing, through his own presence. He would go out to the poor neighborhoods in India and really get a feel for what it was that the people were experiencing. He would talk to them. He would get their stories. He would use the newspapers. He would fight legally for it. He would do all any method he really could without resorting to public demonstrations, which included acts of violence, even though he might not have wanted them to. So this is where we get into the implementation part. Did he do this well? Did he put into effect these things in his life and actually do good in the world? I think it's kind of hard to argue that he didn't do good in the world, although you can see particular instances where obviously he didn't get it totally right. One could say he did a lot of violence to his own body through the multiple fasting periods, his refusal to take medicines, his refusal to do certain things, and this would really, really injure his own body. You can see this when he would encourage people to get together to form groups, and even knowing this, he could see like, hey, there's the absolute not certainty, but there's a very good chance that things are going to get violent. And then this is where he would enact a punishment on his own self because he didn't do it well enough. He didn't form the groups enough. He didn't show enough fortitude in them or press upon them highly enough the need for nonviolence. So you could say in many ways, like, "Mm, he didn't do super good in, in every single respect. And hence, Uh, he shouldn't be venerated as as a saint or as a god, but man, he did a lot, a lot of good in the world. And you could really see that he was in touch with the people and he was just doing the best he can. So obviously you can't eliminate all of the second order effects of, you know, even if you're eating a stalk of broccoli, there's animals that were killed in occurring, you know, getting that broccoli out from the ground, small bugs or things like that. Uh, But he tried his best. He tried his best to really implement what he held sacred, which was the satya and ahisma. On to my personal observations and takeaways. You can see from the book that he was an extreme guy in many, many ways. His vows, his celibacy, his stubbornness, he would put his heart into everything and he would go 100%. There was no dicking around. He would go all in. And this really was funny in many ways because you could see that his personality traits, if applied in certain different manners would be undesirable or could even be used for good. So he was very argumentative. You have to be as a lawyer to really enjoy the lawyer profession to be able to live in that profession. You have to be argumentative. 
his stubbornness I've already talked about. There's certain elements of pride that creep in. He's talked in the book about his own lust as well for his wife, for for things like this and how he could be almost cruel in many ways to his close loved ones because he would be focusing on the greater good. So he was not showing enough attention to his kids. He wasn't doing these things. So uh, an extreme guy, and you can just say, man, those personality traits, if they'd just been matched with something a little bit different, he could have you know, done great things in other respects. Yes, maybe as a businessman, but he could also have done, you know, terrible things. And I think one of the things that kept him on the path of righteousness, of goodness, was that he was very acknowledging of his own flaws. There's plenty of times in these books where he says, I did this wrong. This was uh, something I regret. I have a lot of shame and embarrassment about. Uh, You can see, particularly with his own innate personality, he was very shy. So he would struggle to give talks, to put his own thoughts and feelings out into the world, sometimes to the detriment of other people because they would have to help him. He was very strict with his wife and so would treat her cruelly in many times. His own kids, he was not, I suppose, the greatest of parents in that he didn't really give them the proper education that he could have given them. So he didn't let them go to English schools, for example, because he had this strong passion for his own heritage for Hinduism and so he didn't want them raised in with English cultural values getting into it so they received a a lack of education in many ways he was also in South Africa for a lot of the time in England and going all around the world so his kids were deprived of a father through many times in their childhood so very interesting to just see all of these different little things and you can see how he made many many sacrifices for the larger part for his, I I guess, he made sacrifices to achieve larger things in life, but this came at the detriment to some of the people around him. And you can really see this resolution with a couple of quotes, which I have here. So from page 299, for all restraint, whatever prompts it is wholesome for men. All self-denial is good for the soul. So this once again, just shows his extremeness and how he was very, disciplined. I think disciplined is a perfect word for Gandhi because he was very strict in many, many ways to himself and to other people. He held a a quite high regard and expectations for many people. Another one from page 315 is more caution and perhaps uh, more restraint are necessary in breaking a fast than keeping it. So this is even just showing how he would acknowledge that in his fasting periods that You can't just do something and then say, yep, I've done it. That's all good. It's a continual battle. And so he seemed to always be beating himself up in many ways because he wasn't achieving this higher perfection that he was aiming for. So very interesting insights you get into the person of Gandhi. And this book isn't so much on his actual exploits. So it won't tell you about his uh, trips where he was fasting or when he was in jail or when he was marching across India for his salt um, regime, whatever he was doing there. This is more of his own inner thoughts and some random things that were occurring in his life. So in summary, it's a brief glimpse into the life of an extraordinary dude. I really admire certain qualities of Gandhi and of what he was trying to pursue. His nonviolence, the truth, I think both of those are fantastic qualities and morals, ethics to strive for. But then also you look at some of his personal qualities, the disagreeableness, his strictness, the discipline, and you just think, man, that's... That seems to be going too far. I'm not sure that's the best way of doing it. But once again, this was his life. It's the life of of Gandhi, of his experiments with truth. So fun to read these things and get that glimpse deeper into it. Now, me personally, 
I don't, I just don't think the format was the best for me. I have read some autobiographies and just feel that in terms of getting to the heart of a matter of really understanding a person, it's kind of hard because they can't understand themselves truly deeply. They can't present their views without being extremely biased to themselves. So you would see in certain parts how some pride would creep in when he was writing and how he would acknowledge this thing. But, you know, it's, it's always hard to tell. Did he acknowledge everything that he did, good and bad? Was he really able to get that step back from it? No, you're not. That's the point of an autobiography. So for me, just the formats of autobiographies uh, are a bit lacking. And so hence, I, I couldn't enjoy this book to the maximum that I think some other people could. That being said, I think it would be perfect for someone who is already really intrigued by Gandhi and maybe has heard of his exploits, has knows the particular details of his strategies in life and how he moved around and particular details of how he organized things and the effects he had on the world um, and wants to gain a more in-depth look at to his thoughts, his personality and how, why he did certain things. And this book, I think, explains this a lot. So all in all, it was okay. I'm giving it a five and a half out of 10, an autobiography by M.K. Gandhi. And so my friends, this is the end. So thank you everyone for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Gandhi, on his life, his interactions with the world, how he treated people, his inner thoughts? I would love to know all of these things. The most fun way of doing that would be to send me a Boostergram. So you can do this in many of the podcasting 2.0 apps such as Podfriend, Breeze, CurioCaster, Fountain FM, Castomatic, places like that. And I will read this out later on the book recap that I do at the end of each month. Other than that, you can also hit me up on Instagram at Mimmals Podcast. And I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Current out.